high noon is my way of giving musicians like me and like you and like Sam and Stacy, who maybe they have big ambitions with their music. They want something great from their music. They, they, they want their music treated with care, but maybe they can't afford the capital experience. Maybe they can't afford to hire somebody $1,000, $2,000 a day to mix their music on an analog console and give it like that real old school treatment that like 90% of records that you and I love are given. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited for you to be joining me today as we chat with our guest, Nate Bridges, about music production. But before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder to please subscribe to the show. Whether you are listening on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, press that subscribe button so you can stay up to date on episodes. And head on over to patreon.com slash to join the fam and help keep this show going every single week and get access to exclusive content, behind the scenes content, and early access for my music and writing. Again, that's patreon.com slash X-E-N-J-A. Your support means the absolute world to me. Nate Bridges is a recording engineer and musician from San Luis Obispo, California. Nate spent time honing his craft in Boston, Spain, Hollywood, and Nashville, working under some of the top engineers and producers in the world. He recently opened up a brand new studio called High Noon Audio in Nashville. Hi, Nate. It's so good to see you. How's it going, Zania? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. I'm so glad you're here. I like to start uh, every episode by sharing how my guests and I have met. And so we met through Stacey Burroughs. Um, she had posted about you on Instagram, I think, just like raving about, about you and, and the work you did for her music. And I was like, hmm, I need someone to help me with my music. <laughs> so that's how we got connected. And like, truly, oh my gosh, you made my music sound so good. So thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. I loved working on your music. And likewise, I loved working on Stacy's music. Um, yeah, Stacy is, she's, she's a gem. She's got some incredible, incredible stuff that I'm really, really excited for, for people to hear. And, and I met her through my buddy, uh, Sam Small, who I think, maybe coming up on your show at some point, I hope. I don't know. Yeah, I we interviewed uh, last Friday. Oh, cool. That's mm -hmm. all. Um, no spoilers, sorry. But, <laughs> um, yeah, Sam is, is one of my oldest, oldest friends uh, back from college. And um, pretty much anybody he you know, like throws his weight behind um, creatively, I my ears always perk up and I was pretty much begging Sam to let me uh, to work on Stacy's stuff. So I feel they they initially went somewhere else to get stuff worked on, and then I kind of like just forgot about it. I didn't forget about it. I was bugging about it all the time and just wanted to hear it, but um, I kind of gave up thinking I would work on it. And then something threw, and then they called me up and, and they needed something really bad. So 
Um, so yeah, luckily I got to master her upcoming record and yeah, through her, I, I got a nice email from you and, um, yeah, you, you two, uh, it's funny, uh, like Stacy and you are kind of like the two sides of the musical equation. I kind of am constantly juggling. It's like, there's a whole group of people that kind of know me more in, in like a folk rock kind of vein and, you know, it's kind of the stuff I grew up with and stuff I kind of like cut my teeth doing. And then there's people like you that I work with now uh, it's more on the electronic side. It's more kind of what I do now um, as far as my own music goes and and kind of more of the stuff I'm, I'm interested in pursuing uh, now. So having both you, having, being able to work on your music and hers at the same time, it was just like, it was really funny and, and really fun. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm excited to hear her stuff too. Like I, she posted a clip, I think a while ago and I was just like, oh my God, this is so good yeah it's cool i mean it's it's uh she wrote some music that came from a special place and it's it's rare you hear songs like these so i'm yeah i'm excited for people to hear well and i only know her through mommy tongue which is spectacular but i get the sense that this record that she's done solo is so different yeah it's uh it's a very, very grown up, very mature songs. Um, and it's, there's kind of a loose like story behind it. Uh, I, I'm not much of a lyrics person, so I don't want to speak about her lyrics. <laughs> uh, but uh, man, yeah, a couple of songs just like floored me. I, I just didn't do anything. Really, really good. I mean that genuinely. Stacy, we love you. Yeah. <laughs> Moral of the story. <laughs> so, Nate, can we start with your early recording days? Just like what brought you to music at 9, 10? And, and you said you were recording at 12. Yeah, I, it's crazy because when I think about that, it was so long ago now that I, I, I almost don't even remember what was like the inciting incident you know i just knew you know if i really think about it the oldest memory i have of music was my uncle he gave me he came down from seattle and he gave me a like Jimi hendrix cd or something and he told me a story about how he had a record collection uh, in his basement that flooded and it like ruined all of his records and i just remember being like so sad about so bummed out for him but I was I was probably like nine years old and but after I heard Hendrix for the first time I was like whoa I need to play a guitar like that is obviously the coolest thing I've ever heard especially up to that point in my life um but yeah I, I've never been I'm not trying to be modest or anything I've never been like the greatest guitar player the greatest instrumentalist like Sam Small he could like run circles around I know so many incredible musicians and my, my drive has always been to like create and record stuff with them because I know so many of them. And yeah, as a kid, I don't know what it was that drew me to recording, but it, it did. I remember I'm, I was mowing my dad's lawn and washing my parents' cars for probably upwards of a year 
to save up to buy this like digital Yamaha like 24 track little, it was like a little unit thing. And after about a year I had it and it came with a microphone that I broke immediately. Um, it came with um, cables and like everything you would need and just messing around with it and, and um, you know, recording my own stuff. And, I don't know. It's it's honestly it it goes so far back and so deep that like it's, it's I almost don't even know where this well sprang from. You know, it's just like ever since I can really remember, like you know, having thoughts and opinions and, and caring about things. You know, when you're about nine, ten, eleven, going through puberty and all that, that's kind of when you start to become a fully realized version of yourself or like an inkling of it. Ever since then. It's like all I want to do is record. And that's all I've done ever since. So. I love that. What sorts of things were you recording at 12? So it would be like, I would try to just get my hands on like any instrument I could. So it would be like, I remember having, I had a ukulele and I would record ukulele. And then I accidentally sat on it once. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't do that anymore. Um, Obviously, uh, you know, trying to record guitar. I remember I would record my earliest, earliest recording setup. I would record myself playing along with like Nirvana CDs or like, like I would try to learn a song and then I would record myself playing along with the song and obviously would make it sound way worse and not listenable. But like, I don't know, for me, I, there's some kind of gratification in being able to like, listen to myself along with my favorite band and like, see how well I stood up. Like, could I, can I hang? Can I, can I, can I do this with this band? Usually no, but in my mind, it was still sounded cool and it was really fun. Um, but later as I started getting into high school, um, like I would join, I would join bands and, and we were just like recorded my garage on that same little unit. Uh, it didn't exactly sound great but you know we would just take whatever mics we had we would borrow mics from people or whatever and we would just record band practice or we would try to scratch together some kind of weird demos or whatever but a lot of it was like really weird experimental stuff that i've completely lost because i lost that unit it was all stored on that unit um i had like an internal memory or something and i, I remember like and I hate myself, I'm kicking myself for remembering this, but it's true. I remember I was in college and I had brought it with me to Boston. And I like, <laughs> we were moving and I never used it. I didn't need it at that point, which was like total sentimental thing that I kept. And I remember we had to move and we were moving apartments or something, me and my roommates. And like, we had all the shit we had to move. And I just saw this thing and I was like, you know what? This is literally just taking up space. I don't know why I have this anymore. And I threw it in the garbage. And now when I think about no. it, I'm like, you stupid idiot. <laughs> but, but yeah, it was a lot of just kind of experimental band demos, experimental stuff. Like nothing really worth keeping. But Yeah, I can totally relate to like, <laughs> I'll sing along to uh, songs like mostly pop songs. I'll try and sing along to pop songs and think I sound so good. And then like take the audio away and I'm like, 
Okay, well, that was a thing that just happened that we're never going to speak about ever again. That's a, that's a, a keep your ego in check. <laughs> self, self ego checkup. <laughs> oh, yeah, I love it. But, also in like the bathroom has amazing acoustics so i'll be like singing in the shower i was talking with someone about this i think it was jen seifert on our episode i'll sing in the shower and think i sound so good and then go and like record and i'm like no no uh-uh yeah see luckily i i gave up the uh the singing dream a long time ago i was trying that for a while but uh i i had the same thing i like i i thought for the longest time like i'm, like, oh, I'm gonna be like a I'm going to totally be a singer songwriter. And then I, man, just sometimes life has a way of really humbling you. And one of those ways is listening to yourself sing. <laughs> like, yes. A great way to realize you're not a singer. Oh, yeah. Or for me, I was always so afraid to sing. Like, I never sang as a child, I never sang in front of anybody. I didn't start singing until uh, maybe a year and a half ago. Oh, and it's wow. like it's taken that long to like try and find my voice. I'm still finding my voice. That's why I, I like took down all of the songs that I had released previously that were of me singing. And I was like, I, I can't. I need to go into like electronic EDM and then like still like maybe I can sprinkle in here and there. But yeah. Yeah. And ride. Yeah. Yeah. People that can put themselves out there. It's one thing to write songs and put that out there because at least like for the most part, like especially an electronic instrument, you can't make it out of tune. But like if you're singing, um, yeah, yeah, that's a special special amount of bravery for, for all those people that can do that. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about going to Berkeley. I lived in Boston. I, that's where I grew up. Um, so that's funny. We have that connection. I know, so, I know so many people. I, I feel like I meet new people from Boston, like pretty much everywhere I go, every every time I turn around, I'm meeting someone from Boston. It's just like there's so many people that go through that city that are, you know, talented musically. It's it's pretty incredible. Uh, but yeah, I Berkeley was kind of like I'd been doing this internship in high school at a recording studio and like man, I, I had a real like fork in the road moment where uh, the guy Brian Wallace I was interning for was his studio he basically he basically like asked me to like stay on after high school and like kind of keep working with him which is the whole point of doing an internship like that or, or working at a studio like that uh, you know because what I had been doing up to that point was like you know prepping sessions or like you know, running cables for them, just all the stuff you would do in a studio as like an unpaid like younger studio cat coming up um so to be asked to do that was like holy crap this is it i this is this is the start i'm, I'm going to start doing what i want to do you know? um but then there was this bug in my ear that was uh, my family that was like they really wanted me to go to college and everyone in my family went to college. We're all very fortunate we were able to do that. Um, and yeah, a part of me in the back of my mind was like, well, man, this music thing is not a sure bet. It's not a sure thing. Uh, and, you know, if I want to give it the 
the push that it might need to ultimately succeed. Like I should probably go to school. Like I should probably get a degree here. I should probably have something to, to back up this crazy idea I have to do this for a living. Um, and yeah, so I, I moved to Boston completely by myself. I had no friends. I didn't know anybody there. Um, I was dating a girl for three years up to that point, And I broke up with her to move to Boston, which was like incredibly difficult because we were so close and such good friends and we're remain friends now. But it was just like, just totally flipped my whole life upside down in so many ways. And I had to like, I just like completely broke myself in half and had to move to across the country and rebuild um, at probably one of the most intimidating, intense music schools, music environments, like in the country, in the world. I don't know. Um, so I don't know if I knew exactly what I was getting myself into. Um, but it was really hard. It's a really, really tough school. And, and by all accounts, like it used to be even tougher. Like the people who graduated before me all love to rub your nose in that and remind you of that. It used to be even worse and blah, blah, blah. As if it's some kind of badge of honor, not just torture to everyone involved. Um, but um, it was really hard. Like I... I didn't move into the dorms. I got an apartment by myself. Um, mistake. Totally not a good way to make friends. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I didn't get into my major that I wanted to write. That's the other thing that I kind of, I understood, but also didn't understand it. Like, it was one thing to, you, to get into Berkeley, you have to audition. You have to... Um, to interview you have to do all kinds of stuff like they don't if you have good grades they don't just like let you in you know like you have to perform in front of like a committee on your instrument um it's pretty intimidating exactly yeah and like like i said earlier i'm not like i don't like tout myself as like some virtuoso on the guitar it's not like what I, i've never cared about that really um, i just wanted to record and so i got in based on you know my my instrument on the guitar i'd audition with that um but then after a few semesters i realized like oh shit i have to uh, i have to audition again to get into the recording major and at that point um i think my grades weren't good enough like i, I was just like struggling on all fronts it was like a nightmare uh, and so i i got I didn't get in and then I just broke down again and then I had to come back a few months later and audition again I, I I didn't get in a second time and I just like was refused to give up I was so because at that point I was like well I came all the way here like I'm, if I don't get in I might as well drop out like because that's all I want I didn't come here to like play guitar like, and I told them that maybe that's why I don't know. <laughs> um yeah, I told my counselor or whoever, I was just like, look, like, I this is this is why I came here. And if I can't do this, then I'm not why I stay here. You know, like, what am I doing? You know? And luckily, I took it. I took the audition exam, whatever it was, the third time. And I finally got in. And then, yeah, that was a whole nother 
barrage of insane, intimidating experiences and classes and teachers. And just, man, my whole life was just like this ball of anxiety. I'm not really selling the school very well. <laughs> I, Berkeley people, they, they like, they like listen out for alumni. They're probably going to skip calling me next time. They, they want a donation or something, even though I wouldn't really mind that either. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was really intense really intense that being said i made probably more friends and more like solid lifelong friends there than ever anywhere else before or since like the network they, everyone says like you pay for the network not the school and it's totally true. like hmm. like i have gotten more jobs more gigs more uh just more great life experiences. I mean, I met my girlfriend going to Berkeley. She didn't go to Berkeley, but she was, you know, she hung out with Berkeley people and that's how we met. Uh, I mean, it's kind of been the gift that keeps on giving, but it was really, really hard to get everything out of it I was supposed to get. Mm -hmm. What made you choose Berkeley in the first place? Was it like the only school you applied to? It actually was. Nice. <laughs> It actually was my first and only choice. I, so, I mean, I don't know. It's, it was literally either that or maybe I'll go to community college. Maybe I'll just work at this studio where I was working in high school. Maybe I'll get guitar lessons. I don't know. I, I just like, I had, I really wanted to get out of my hometown, like really, really bad. My hometown so I, I'm from the San Luis Obispo area, but I grew up and went to high school in a town called Atascadero, which is like 10 minutes away. But I never even tell people I'm from Atascadero because no one's ever heard of it. People sort of maybe have heard of San Luis. Um, but yeah, I grew up in this town, Atascadero, and like, it's a great town, great people, really small, like close, like close-knit family town. Um, but I just really felt like I outgrew my surroundings. I just, I wanted more of life. I wanted more experiences. And that was reason enough for me to try to go to college. Mm -hmm. And which later on was the reason I moved to Spain. It was the same reason I moved to Spain. I was just like, do I need to go to school more? No. Do I want to go live in Spain for a year? Yes. So I'll use whatever excuse I can to go do that you know yeah I was just about to ask if that was one of the reasons why you went to Spain that's amazing like I I have an adventure bug but I I have not acted on that yet so please tell me about Spain oh my goodness Spain so I, I graduated Berkeley in Boston um, and was at like a similar fork in the road just like okay now I did that. I graduated. I did everything I was supposed to do at school. Still feel like a total idiot. Still don't know what I'm doing. Uh, still could barely tie my own shoes, practically. Uh, musically speaking, for sure, could barely do that. <laughs> um, and I, I almost, it was like another like crisis I was in where I was just like, what do I do next? I don't know. Like, do I move back? California 
And again, I was in another situation where I was dating someone that I was like super, super into. And she still had more time in school and I was done. So we had to break up because I wasn't staying. Um, so again, it just threw me into this like tailspin of like anxiety and just craziness of like, what am I doing? Like, it's just like total like rudderless shit. Every, every time there's like a major crossroads in my life, there's just like, it's just, it's usually just chaotic and insane. Uh, and doing everything I can to just make some kind of giant leap into something to regain any kind of like order or sense out of what I'm doing. Um, so yeah, part of it was based in that. And part of it was just like, like, I, like you said, having an adventure vibe. I'm like, I love moving and I love living in different places. And I thought... I may never have another chance again to live in Europe, especially in my 20s. But yeah, of course I'm going to do that. Who cares if I, one, can't speak Spanish at all? <laughs> Even though I grew up in California, I'm just probably know. Um, could barely speak Spanish. I had to like do Duolingo on the plane the whole way there uh, just to get a cab to my apartment <laughs> from the airport. Um, But yeah, part of it was, I didn't know what to do. Part of it was, I really want to go on an adventure. And another part of it was, well, I could go get a, a master's degree in one year through Berkeley. Like, that'll look really good. It'll feel really good doing it. And they have a recording program there that I can continue to kind of own my skills and, and sharpen that sword. And, and so overall... You know, I, I weighed all the pros and cons, and I was just like, duh. Yeah, I moved to Spain, dummy. And you <laughs> did that solo, again. Yeah, again, I moved there by myself, didn't know anybody, couldn't speak Spanish, uh, just went for it, you know? Do you speak Spanish now? Like, are you fluent now because so, of that? No. Uh, <laughs> so I, I was pretty good while I was there. I was, like, dedicated. I did not want to be that, like, stupid American that, like, couldn't speak the language and just expected everyone to, like, speak English to me. Um, so I really made an effort to learn Spanish. I was pretty good while I was there, but I don't have anyone to speak Spanish with. And, uh, so yeah, I wouldn't even try. I would just embarrass myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, I lived in this really small neighborhood called Usafa uh, in Valencia, Spain. And I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people listening to this have probably never heard of Valencia, but it is like such an underrated city. And I mean, like, in all of Europe, like, it is, it's the third biggest city in Spain after Barcelona and Madrid, and it is just absolutely gorgeous. It's super old world. Um, the, the foundation of the city, it's this giant, like, circle um, that used to be a Roman-era fort. So there are these, like, giant, like, watchtowers, like, all around the city. They're huge. They're like a castle. Uh, and there used to just, it used to be a walled city. It should be walled in around the whole city. And there was, yeah. And there was a river that went directly through the city, um, which is now they have dammed it up. And now it's just, like, a giant park. So it's just a giant, super wide park that just runs through the whole city. And, I mean... It's like, I mean, 
incredibly walkable place. You can walk anywhere you want in the city in like 20 minutes. Um, you know, there's no reason to have a car there. Just ride a bike, walk, whatever. Um, but yeah, it, it, I don't know. I, I miss Spain so much. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like the greatest experience. I It's one of the places I want to go. I, yeah, I could not recommend it more. If you ever go to Europe, just don't skip out on Spain. It is like, it's something else. It's, it's very old. It's like medieval feeling. Like it's, mm. it's wild. I love that. Did you find that your music style was influenced at all by your trip to Spain? A hundred percent. Like a thousand percent. I, I like, I had this thing I would tell this story I would tell myself as a musician in high school that like like uh, like I used to say I hated electronic music or I hated country music or I hated you know hip-hop or like fill in the blank like whatever genre like I was like way too comfortable just making like blanket statements about like I don't like X because you know I flimsy reason you know, like I, I like hated 80s music for the longest time. Now, all those things obsessed with. I can't get enough of like. Yeah, you literally just named all of my favorite genres. <laughs> oh, yeah. And they're mine now, too. But like in high school and, and in college a little bit, I, I had this. I was just so like I was really closed off to like new kinds of music. Um, and that was my own doing. I would close myself off and it partially kind of the circles I ran in and again i remember in the back of my mind i always thought like how that was kind of stupid that i was probably missing out on some stuff and i remember moving to spain like literally on the flight over i remember thinking okay there is literally no reason for you to not just take every little eccentricity about yourself or or thing that bugs you about yourself and flush it down the toilet right now before you get off the plane. I love that. If you're doing it, like there was things that I was doing that I knew was like holding myself back. And I was like, no one knows who I am there. I can literally reinvent myself however I want, however I've always wanted to be. Um, the it, Like I, I will only be shooting myself in the foot if I continue this attitude, especially with music of all things. Why? Mm-hmm. Why? all things to like be close-minded about music it's like the dumbest thing you can do like is to shut yourself out of part of it um and yeah so when i got there like for instance like i uh like i i record more or i always played and recorded and, and was in bands that were kind of more like you know like 60s 70s rock stuff or whatever um and I like was not into electronic music. And I remember getting there and everyone at my school, literally everyone but me was a DJ. Hmm. I was like the only person that wasn't like either doing making side money as a DJ or like that was how they played gigs was they just go DJ at night. And like they were living like rock stars, you know, in Spain. And I was sitting around just like like, what am I going to do? Not go hang out with them and have a blast in Spain? Wow. 
like the only Americans I know. Yeah. Like, hell no. Let's go. What? Where? Where is this club? Like, what is the music? Let's go. I'm down. You know. And what I found was that it's awesome, and it was really fun, and it like awoken something in me, uh, creatively that like has stayed with me ever since, and I still like am, am like actively like pursuing that thread um, of how to be like a totally self-sustained entity and like just make music myself without relying on anybody else and to make it sound super pro and super fun and danceable and and you know but but yeah it, it was it I, I would say that the music I got turned on to in Spain like changed my life like wow like I and this is specifically electronic like I remember uh, with a bunch of my buddies we went to Berlin uh, just for a trip to Germany just to go for, uh, for like a weekend because in Europe you can just do that and it's you amazing can just do that, yeah and uh, it wasn't even just Berlin it was like a week-long trip where we started uh, in Valencia obviously we flew to Prague, did Prague for a few days, then flew to Berlin, did Berlin for a while. And then on our way back, we went to Ibiza, the island, like crazy party island, which actually wasn't quite as much. But Berlin, Berlin specifically, I went there and there are some clubs there that like, I just like, I it I got it. Like it just like made sense. I was just like, oh shit, like this is why people like this. Mm-hmm. Like because in America we get kind of a weird, I don't know, like a weird, like poppy commercialized version of what I was seeing in Berlin. Mm. And in Berlin, I was like, whoa, this is why David Bowie and Iggy Pop moved here in the 70s. Like this is the scene. Like this is where Kraftwerk came from. Like this is like the cradle of all that cool stuff Mm -hmm. and and going to the clubs there like you hear echoes of all of that but it's like super authentic super like like grimy and just it's the real deal and it woke me up in a way that like more than most experiences i've had Uh, just being in berlin for a weekend and experiencing uh, what people that live there get to do every weekend. It's just like, I mean, like, it really felt like some of the clubs there, there's one in particular called uh, Watergate that was like this club that um, you walk in and Berlin had a really like, like, they're really strict about, if you're in a line with like five guys, they're like, yeah, no, we don't want five more guys. <laughs> Like, do you guys know or have any girls with you that want um, <laughs> you? Uh, and of course, we didn't because we were a bunch of loser musicians, dorks. <laughs> um, but um, I remember one of my buddies, like the bouncer at Club Watergate, was just like, uh, he was totally looking us up and down, like, why would we let you in? Like, no way. And he was, he was just like, look, man. All of us are DJs here. We all came here from Berkeley. We flew here from Spain. Like, we're here for the music. That's it. 
we just want to go in and like he like named off all the djs that were doing sets that night and he's just like we're here for the music and the guy was like all right and he let us in and thank, thank god he did because it was one of the coolest nights i've ever had especially in europe but it was like you walk in and the whole ceiling is like this crazy like light array that is like synced up with the dj and whatever he's playing and then there was like a downstairs area where if you go down there it was like this whole wall was just glass and you're just overlooking uh like the river and i guess that's why they call it watergate um that sounds amazing it is it was religious yeah like it really was it and like i'm not really a religious person but that was the closest thing i've had like spiritual awakening oh my god i love it yeah no really and that's how i would describe it it was like a musical spiritual awakening where i was just wow okay i have to do more of this you know yeah well but i'm very spiritual not religious but very spiritual so i'm like well clearly you had that because you you weren't gonna go to spain and then you did and just like uh, you know like yeah of course that's why you went exactly yeah i I think that is a totally fair way to something was pulling me there and once i got there it revealed itself and very apparent why i was there and it was of course it was to to chase down the same dragon i've always been chasing music music so you were there for a year a year yeah you came back did you come back to boston or california so yeah more chaos and anxiety ensues I was, I moved, I came back to Boston first and just like crashed on friends' couches. Um, and yeah, I didn't know what to do next. I, you're, uh, you'll discover by the end of this conversation that this is the first time in my life I know what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I'm in, I'm just entering that. I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm two years yeah. out of college almost. And I'm, I'm like clinging to a rotting piece of driftwood. It's fine. That's how it goes, you know? And everyone told me, like, everyone told me, like, in my 20s, like, as soon as you turn 30, like, it's just all going to make sense and you're going to figure it out and you'll start making money. And I'd be like, dude, I'm turning 30 in, like, two months. <laughs> like, that is not happening. I'm sorry. But I don't see it. Um, but go figure, right? Um uh, but yeah, so I, I was I crashed on people's couches in Boston for a while. Stayed uh, in some really sketchy places after that. They were not fun. Um, and I was I probably just like bummed around Boston for like a month. It's like, like fuck, I don't want to do. I had my laptop, all my clothes, and my guitar. That red one back there. Um, Seventy-two Telecaster worked like God knows how much. Just like everything I owned that mattered to me, I just like had with me. And I would just like carry from friend's house to friend's house for like a month. And I was just like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What is this? Why am I, where am I going? And then that led me back to, I, I, I stayed with my parents for probably, I don't know, maybe six months or so, uh, just to get back on my feet and save some money and figure out what I was gonna do next. And um, the way I got to LA was a buddy of mine from high school. His name is Nigel Walsh. Uh, 
he was recording an album. Actually, he's recording three albums simultaneously. So he's recording his first album, his second album, and like an EP. Uh, just because he had free studio time through a buddy of his. And he was like, if I'm going to, this is the only time I'll ever have free studio time. Like, and he got his band together and he like whipped them in shape on like 30 songs. And that's impressive. Yeah. And he was like, um, if we're going to have free studio time, we're going to take advantage of every second of it. So they recorded like tons of shit. And um, he called me, oh, I hear you're back in town. And I was like, yeah. And this guy, actually, funny story, when I first graduated Berkeley in Boston, he called me up. He was like, are you coming back? Move to LA, join the band. We've got a spot waiting for you in our band, basically. These guys were like my friends from high school. Um, And I said, actually, no, I'm not. I'm moving to Spain. But I know someone who is a hundred times better than at guitar than me. His name is Sam Small. He's moving to LA. Put him in the band. And he said, okay, but on one condition, you have to make clear to Sam, or I will, that Sam is just holding your place in the band until you get back. And as soon as you get back, like we're gonna part ways with Sam, it'll be very amicable. We're all going to be friends after, but like he needs to know going in that we're just like waiting for you. And I was like, okay, you're not going to feel that way once he starts playing guitar, but whatever. Um, uh, but no, they all were super cool about it. And I, so yeah, he called me up and said they were working on this album. And I, so what I did was like, I would, I would drive down for the weekend sessions from San Luis, which was like three hour drive. So I would drive down, um, usually get there pretty early and have some time to kill. So I would literally go park my car in like Burbank and like sleep in my car, watch my stuff or like go see a movie and just like kill time. And then at night the sessions would start. So I would drive over to the studio and um, just record all night, crash there, get drunk, wake up, do it all over again. And then usually during the week I drive back home and um, the bass player on that project, Brandon Nisnik, who is still to this day a very close collaborator of mine, um, who I also went to high school with. Uh, and these guys were all older than me. So I went to high school with them. I knew of them, but I didn't like know them, know them. Um, basically, like, they really dug what I was playing on the record for them. And I saw Brandon playing a show up in St. Louis and he just was like, hey man, um, like what's your plan? Like, are you moving to LA or what? Like you gotta come down, man. Like you're like, you're basically in the band, like you gotta come down. You're not doing anything here, just move to LA. And I was like, well, I don't have anybody to live with. I need like a roommate or something. And he goes, okay, my roommate is leaving in two weeks. Do you want to live with me so you could come move to LA? I was like, holy shit, yes, of course. Um, so that got me to LA, which was really fun. And then I started playing in that band and gigging around really sketchy, terrifying dive bars around LA. But really fun at the same time. Um, but, um, but yeah, and so that's kind of 
I forget the question now. I'm just, I, I can ramble. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. I, I kind of forget what I asked too, but. Um, I think you asked like how, like, what did I do after? Yeah. Like, <laughs> I kind of just fucked off for a long time and then moved to LA. <laughs> yeah, sounds um, fun. The long and short of it. Um, but, so then was Capitol Studios in, while you were still in LA? Yeah. There? Yes. So. And again, it, it all comes back to this network that I, I've made over the years. And whether it was from high school or it was from Spain or Boston or wherever, like the network I've made is, is like, I'm, I'm, I'm just like constantly thanking all these people that have like helped guide me in the right direction because um, yeah, I was living in, in LA and I didn't have a job for a while like on unemployment uh, living with my buddy brandon playing in a band having fun making tons of music um you know getting paid to do music as well like recording like kind of stuff i'm doing now um but overall really not hitting my stride and one of my buddies from spain he was also in la and i hadn't really kept up with him much since we both got into la but we were like really really tight Spain. And um I ran into him at a bar or something. I just was like, his name's Xander. And I was just like, Xander, like, what have you been up to, man? Like, where have you been? Like, I haven't heard from you or anything. And he was just like, Yeah, I work at Capitol Studios. And I was like, Casual. I was like, wait, what? Like, you work at Capitol? Like, how since when? He was like, Oh, for a couple of months. I was like, Are you serious? Like, can I go check it out? Like what's the and he's like no not really it's not really like that so i started asking him what he did and he said he was like a runner uh, which is just like you know you set up microphones you get coffee for people you get food for artists you do basically whatever needs to be done that is not glamorous at all <laughs> um that's what you do and that's the job but flip side capital which is awesome um so I basically told him, like, um, can you get me an interview there or something? And I think that's kind of what he was getting at while we were talking as well. Just kind of probe, like, what I was doing. Because in Spain, I was like, like I said, everyone there was, like, DJ. And I was the one in my circle of friends that was doing, like, full-on recording. Like, I would sit at a console and be like, let's, let's record, you know, bring in a big band and let's do it. Um, so when I heard one of my DJ buddies was working at Capitol, which is like one of the biggest recording studios in the world, like, not that I didn't think he deserved to be there or couldn't do it or anything. I was just like, holy shit. Like if one of my buddies from Spain is doing this, like, why am I not doing it? Like, what was going on here? Um, and he basically told me like, by the end of the night, he was like, look, man, um, I'm going to talk to my boss. I think he might have even called his boss that night. And he said, I need you to show up at Capitol on Monday, 9 a.m., wear a button-down shirt, look nice. You know, be ready. You, I got you an interview. Um, and, I mean, I was more nervous for this than, like, for a year or anything. Like, 
this was like real, like it's mm -hmm. like, like a real job. <laughs> yeah. Which I've had few of <laughs> in my life. Um, and uh, yeah, I got to meet Paula Salvatore, who's the studio manager there. She's been the studio manager there for 30 years. Wow. Um, I mean, she's like personally friends with Paul McCartney and everyone under, under him. <laughs> on the on the scale uh and yeah they pretty much they pretty much hired me right away um and uh yeah cue two of the most grueling intense years of my life probably like 10 times more intense wow yeah um, that's, that's, yeah that's amazing yeah and it was like so yeah, my day-to-day -day at Capitol would be like, well, really, it depended on if you were doing a morning shift or a night shift. So there were six guys, six people on the setup crew. That's what we were called. We were the six runners. We call it the setup crew. And um, if you were the morning shift, you would come in 8 a.m., um, kind of run through a checklist so the studio makes sure everything looks nice. Um, if there was a session that was due to start that morning, you'd go through the room, make sure everything was set up correctly, um, help the engineers like shoot out microphones, uh, make sure everything was plugged in right, so that when Bob Dylan walks in in five minutes, he's not sitting around waiting for us to figure out what's wrong or whatever. Like we just start recording. And usually the day shift stuff was like way more glamorous in the sense that you got to be in the room with like Barbara Streisand or something mm. wow. or, <laughs> or like whoever I don't know why I picked Barbara Streisand well, <laughs> but it's true um you know those were the shifts where I got to like be in the room with Beck Jenny Lewis and Ryan Adams and Bob Dylan and Neil Young and Adele and John Mayer like so in that sense it was really cool but you're basically just making coffee and like getting yelled at if something goes wrong. <laughs> so it wasn't like, it was cool, but it wasn't like the most fun. Mm -hmm. But if you work the night shift and we would all rotate, um, you got to do a lot more. And it was way more hands-on because basically you'd come in at four o'clock or five o'clock and you'd have to immediately tear down the whole session, tear down all the microphones. And it could be like a hundred microphones you know, for like a, a big jazz band or, or a string section or, you know, whatever. And you have to tear down everything. And then immediately when you're done tearing it down, get it set up again for whatever was coming in next, whether it was that night or the next morning. Mm -hmm. uh, and which is great because you're you're learning like mic technique and mic placement and like where to put everything and it's like way more hands-on and I got to do it so much more often than I ever did in school that like I learned a ton. But the flip side of that was you're not really seeing any actual sessions happen. So you're missing that. And the schedule was typically 4 p.m. to 4 a.m., 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m. Oh it was just like 
you stayed until it was done. And if, wow. and if you don't finish by the time uh, the morning crew comes to clock in, then uh, you suck and they're going to have to help you. <laughs> and um, it was so hard. It was so, so hard. It was such a hard job. But it was so gratifying and um, God, I learned so much. Like I wouldn't be talk about like an education. Berkeley or Berkeley was great, but Capital and like they you they there just aren't studios that really exist like that anymore. Mm-hmm. They just did. They just aren't. So I, I was extremely fortunate to get to work there. Yeah. Incredibly cool. Yeah. Well it's like the difference between sitting in a classroom and learning and educating and being like in the real world and having that education and, and both are valuable in their own oh. way. But yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like book smarts versus street smarts. Like anybody that tells you, you can only get through life on street smarts. It's like, are not very smart to begin with. Like they're, I don't know, but you kind of need both and yeah. like you can read them all about it in a book, which will really be great for you and it's a great foundation to build on but you do have to go like get your hands dirty and and do it at the same time Um, but i mean yeah like just endless insane stories like just like my favorite story i usually tell people just to give like a snippet of like what it was like on a day basis at that place one of the earlier sessions i was involved in it was like um, I remember the morning, it was, it was one of my first morning shifts, and it was like, um, hey, Nate, would you mind, uh, we've got a, we've got someone coming down that needs, uh, she needs a quick tour, like, it's not going to ask a ton of questions, you just kind of want to see the rooms and stuff. And I was like, okay, sure. It was J.J. Abrams, hot off of, like, directing Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> like, right after Star Wars. So like he's just like in eh, checking it out and he's like cool and I'm just sitting there like what? <laughs> I like Star Wars. That's fun. Like, wow. <laughs> and uh he leaves. Then we start uh you know checking the mics everywhere and everything. And it's um Hans Zimmer was producing an orchestral session for Adele. So it was Hans Zimmer, the guy that does all the music for Christopher Nolan and whoever, everybody basically. Um, and Adele coming in. And so the session starts. I'm in the room with Adele. It's amazing. She's like super funny, uh, really, really nice. Uh, just everything I imagine you'd have to be to make it to that level. Like super mm-hmm. cool, super nice, funny. And like just immensely talented in every way like um i remember um she'd been eating a banana during the session and she finished her banana and at one point she turned around to get another banana there was no bananas there she had a black banana or someone had and um when stuff like that happens like i'm supposed to be like the invisible force that just like manifests a new banana for them yeah um and i remember the engineer on the session he noticed this too and he just shot this like look at me like 
get her a fucking banana right now. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, so, and I knew exactly what he meant. So, of course, I run down the hallway to go up. There's, you have to go upstairs to go into this kitchen where we keep all the fruit and stuff. And I run up into the kitchen and someone is in there watching TV, eating leftovers, just like eating leftovers like this. And I look over and it's John Mayer. Just like eating leftover Chinese food. <laughs> and he remembered me because he he was really cool too. He tried to, he had been there for like weeks at that point. Um, and then even even longer than that before I'd been there. And so he like made a point to like meet everybody and know everyone's name, which was cool. So he seems to be like running up and scouring through the fridge for a banana. And he was just like, hey, what's up, Nate? And I was like, hi, John, I can't talk. <laughs> Like, I have to grab a Della banana. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh yeah, I grabbed a banana, brought it back to the studio. She didn't even touch the banana. She did not want it. She didn't eat it. No one ate it. I think I ate it later. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, like, That's so funny. Literally, like, every single day was like that. Every yeah. it was like. Triple A, crazy famous clients, and you're just like there too. I'm also here, you know, like whatever you need. Yeah. <laughs> um, Probably got a good cardio workout. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny is I looked through like my steps app on my phone, and I went back to like 2018 when I was there, and it was like. 12,000 steps a day, 15,000 steps a day, 20,000 steps a day. I bet, yeah. It was just like miles and miles. And like not even like trying to, like that's just from the job. Yeah, Yeah, no, it was just like I wasn't allowed to sit down really. So, and yeah, who knows? Someone might need a banana. I need to be ready to sprint across the studio. That's so funny. What would they do if like they were out of bananas? Oh my god. I would literally have to go get in my car and drive to the closest banana dispensary <laughs> store or wherever. That's uh, so good. Yeah, I mean it was literally like whatever those people needed. That yeah. The world they have built for themselves is if they need it, it shows up. Yeah. It's, it's there now. Um, and the funny thing about that, you would think that would make them all like insufferable pricks. But actually, what I found was the super famous people like Katy Perry, Adele, Beck, whoever, they were actually all super chill, mm-hmm. really cool. Like it wasn't it was it was wasn't exactly frowned upon to talk to them. But, like, if you found yourself in a conversation with them, obviously, hey, man, way to go. You're talking to whoever, you know. Um, They were usually really cool. It was the people that were, like, there was a a tier of people that were awful. And it was either the people that were responsible for making their lives super, super easy. Mm -hmm. Or... It was like, and I'm not going to name names. It was like the up and coming pop star, the up yeah. and coming rock star, the up and coming hip hop people that like, that literally have 
spent 14 of their 15 minutes of fame and think that they're the next big thing. Yeah. And they're the ones that show up, put their feet on the million dollar console that bark orders at everybody that are super disrespectful, that they haven't paid their dues. They haven't put the time in. They haven't, I don't know what it is. It's they've let, um, they've let ego get in the way of why they got into it in the first place. And now they're just like, they're, they're more into that than making music, I guess. And, and you know, it's, uh, it's not fair to put them in the same level as the, the, the like assistants and stuff. Cause they were assholes for like different reasons. <laughs> yeah. They were assholes because someone has to be an asshole to just like make bananas appear. Like you can't just like wish for them. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, most of, most of the experiences I had with like the, the super, super famous people were all like really cool. Like they're like totally memories all cherished forever. But mm-hmm. It's like really, really unique. Cool experiences. So. Yeah. So then when did you move to Nashville? So Nashville happened like I had, I'd reached a point with capital where it was obviously a ton of fun um but i had been working the night shift for probably six months maybe longer and then it had been like my second or third stint of that amount of time on the night shift um so there were whole like months of time that would go by where like i just like wouldn't see the sun like i would go to bed I get home at, well, I, I get off work. An average night, I get off work at four in the morning. Wow. You know, a, a bad night would be like seven. And like a, a really bad night would be like, I would say good morning to Xander. He <laughs> <laughs> was good. Um, but an average night would be like, I get to go home at three, four, something like that. And, um, like, and like, I would, if I didn't have like leftover, whatever food was at the studio, I would like stop at a 7-Eleven and get some like garbage, gross, disgusting crap, whatever, because I was always open. And yeah, I would like go home and not see anybody, not get to see my girlfriend, not get to see my roommates and just like, uh, you know gets super high, just like gets so baked, like out of control amounts of weed, just to like escape, like, cause it was really stressful. I was like under, and then that wasn't helping. I'm sure that that, that piled on my anxiety and stress. Yeah. Helpful ultimately, but um, yeah, it, it, I reached like a, a real, like a serious breaking point. Like I remember having a really crazy dream that in my mind was almost more of a premonition. Mm. It was like, I had this dream. I won't, I'll, I'll keep it short because it's, it's a crazy dream, but like, okay. <laughs> it, was, it was basically like, I had a dream that I was in my childhood home and it was like all dilapidated and falling apart. And um, I was wandering around and all of a sudden there was like a gigantic like tiger in the house. So it started chasing me through my old house and as I started to run 
like the ground gave out from under me and I started just like sinking and falling and like oh my god it was really intense dream and it was one of those you wake up and you think it's real um and sure enough like literally maybe two or three nights later um I had a massive panic attack like Mm -hmm. massive panic and I've always, obviously, just talking to me, I'm sure you can tell from all these stories, I struggled with anxiety and depression and stress and all that yeah. for my whole life. Um, but never like this. Mm-hmm. I had prepared me or come close to this like event. I, um, and it was compounded by the fact that I had been like, smoking a ton of weed and just like, just I was just letting myself get out of control um, just to try and like, Cause like I would go to bed and just think about capital and think about the things I fucked up or think about things I could put on different. I would like dream about being a capital and it would just like drive me nuts. So I couldn't get away from it ever. Like never ever. Cause I would like I'd go to bed at four or five, six in the morning and then wake up at two or 3 PM and my shift starts at four. So I have to like yeah. shower all the time to do is shower and then go back to work. You know? like, yeah. And so, if you're dreaming about it, there's no escape. There's no escape. It was yeah. just constant. So I would like smoke weed to try to like forget about it or something, you know. Um, and if, yeah, like I said, so I had this massive panic attack um, that I was like convinced was a heart attack. Like mm. 100% convinced it was a heart attack, even though I was saying to myself, like, why would you have a heart attack? You're 28. You don't really have heart attacks that young. It's really weird. Uh, but it didn't matter because I was not in a rational state of mind at all. I was, I completely lost it. Uh, and to the point where I like was hyperventilating, pacing around the room. I woke up one of my roommates and you know, I was just like crying, just freaking the fuck out. And he walked up and down the street with me to help me calm down. And it wound up that, like, I wound up staying up till 10 a.m. that night. Couldn't sleep. I called in to count. I never would call out of work. I called out of work. Um, I finally got a hold of my girlfriend. And she drove me to the hospital. And obviously, I wasn't having a heart attack. I was having a crazy panic attack. Um, and, you know, they... Brought me to the emergency room, put me, put an IV on me, gave me like some kind of Xanax or something or, or, or something to calm me down. Um, and I took a couple of days off. I just like said, okay, I obviously. So I took a few days off and um, it just, it like opened up my brain in a way for the first time in a while that I was just like, I have to stop. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm pushing my body and my mind and my spirit past a breaking point. It's coming, it's manifesting physically in a panic attack and subconsciously in like a wacky, fucked up, crazy dream, you know, that's starting to come out. Um, So I I can't, I can't ignore this, you know. And I quit like two weeks later. Wow. I was like, I'm done. I can't do anymore. And I, I knew, and I tried to kind of keep the capital thing going um, in a way. I kind of tried to leverage me moving to Nashville because they were building a studio out here. 
Hmm. And I thought, okay, if I can at least get away from being a runner and maybe they brought me up to engineer in Nashville, then it'll be worth it. Yeah. And maybe, maybe I'll be able to handle this and, and like, it won't be so bad, you know? And so we move, I move all the way out here with the hope that that, I'm not going to say promise because it was not promised to me, but with the hope that that's what was going to happen, I, I went through like two, three rounds of interviews. After about six months, they said, we're moving in a different direction. You didn't get the job. <laughs> so at that point, I was like, take deep breath. Yeah. <laughs> but it was in the weirdest way. I was so relieved. Mm. I was mm-hmm. so, so relieved because, look, I love Capital. It's a, it was a great experience. I love everybody that I got to work with. But it was really stressful. It was really, really, really stressful. And I couldn't, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't do it anymore. And I was trying to force myself to do it. Mm-hmm. Force myself to keep it going because I thought, because I told myself over and over again, like, if you don't become an engineer after being a runner for two years of capital, like, your career is over. Like, this is it. You suck. You're not going to do it. You're, you're going to be another, like, what could have been or has been or whatever you want to call it. Like, you're, you failed, basically. Mm-hmm. You know? And, you know, I opened up to my dad about all this, my parents and stuff, and, and obviously my girlfriend moved here with me knew all about it and it just became so clear I didn't even actually want it I just mm. wanted I just wanted to I just I just had to do something to convince myself that I was a success yeah that, I, that all this wasn't for nothing all this crazy journey I've been on it wasn't all for nothing and and that you know I'd be rewarded with something really valuable to me, which was, which would have been an engineering position at Capital. Um, but at the same time, I was like totally sabotaging everything to make sure it didn't happen because I don't know, I was, I was just fighting myself on it. And, and when it didn't happen, I was just like, I was so relieved. I went and got a, I went and got just a regular nine to five job. For the first time in maybe 10 years, I'd had just like a regular job. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't like insane. Uh, yeah. And I got a job at United Record Pressing, which is where I'm working now for the next couple of weeks. Um, and um, yeah, it, it was just like I was able to reset, um, dial down my stress levels by like a thousand percent. Good. Uh, you know, living in Nashville, it's a much slower vibe here overall okay um almost at the beginning i didn't like it mm. i'm like a city person and i like living in the city i liked the la it was like crazy hustle bustle i liked that about boston like i feed off that energy um, it's, it's, it's fun to be around you feel like you're in the center of the world or something living in la you know but um I'm not one of those typical people that shits on LA. I actually like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it took me, it took me a while to 
come to terms with the fact that I had to ramp down my life and I had to reset um, or it was going to kill me. Yeah. It's going to kill me. I would just like die super young. And then what? Like talk about, <laughs> talk about not being worth it. Like if I'm yeah. not like around to enjoy it, like what the fuck am I doing? You know? Um, but yeah, I, I've grown to to really like it here, and and um, yeah, and doing all that. One, it was all in service of this room that I'm in now, and I couldn't have done it if I hadn't just been like, "Whoa, turn the temperature back, slow down, uh, stop, think, breathe, relax for a little bit." take care of your mental health for the first time in your 20s. Chill out a little bit. Enjoy life for a minute. Yeah. But, yeah. All the things that the West does not approve of. (laughs) It's true. It's true. And I had to think back on... So there's there's one thing I, I wish so badly I knew who this person was. When I was in Spain, I remember talking to a local there who spoke English. And she was, we were just talking about where I was from and where she was from and, you know, differences between our cultures and all that. And um, she asked me, so what do you do? And I was like, oh, I work at a uh, recording studio at Berkeley and I like help people troubleshoot their recording sessions. And when I'm not doing that, like I work on this and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, that's not what I asked you. <laughs> she was like, I asked you, what do you do? Like, what do you do? Like, what do you like? Like, what do you do for fun? Yeah. And then she was like, all of you, she's like, I'm sorry to say this, but like all of you Americans are exactly the same. Whenever, <laughs> whenever I ask Americans what they do, they immediately just tell me what their job is. Like, it's our identity. It's our identity. Our entire yeah. self-worth is, and I'm totally guilty of this, and, and, and was after this, but it's just because of where we're from. Yeah. Um, our entire self-worth is wrapped up in our jobs and what mm-hmm. we do for a living. And, uh, like, it's, it's gross. It's, it's gross. It's not how the rest of the world lives. And it's definitely not how Europe lives. Mm. Like, I remember like being there and talking to Americans and, and people being like, you believe these Spaniards all like take siestas every day at like five? Like the whole city shut down. Like how am I supposed to go to Kinko's or whatever? <laughs> it's like, it's like, dude, they are, maybe they're napping. Maybe they're hanging out with their children or their parents or their family, or their girlfriends or spouses or partners or whatever. Maybe they're just like taking a little bit of time every day to not work. Yeah. To make sure they're not working and to make sure they reconnect with things that are actually important. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I heard but didn't internalize for years. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until like, really until moving to Nashville that I was like, oh, right. Just because I work at United Record Pressing that doesn't 
make me who I am, even though it's a cool job. Like it doesn't, that's not who I am. It doesn't it says it doesn't reflect anything good or bad about me. It's just a mm-hmm. thing. It's just a thing I do. It's just, it's just a job. Yeah. Know? It doesn't matter. Like what I what do I do? I love music. I love film. I love my dog. I love hiking. I love there's there's so much more to me than a job. And it's like it sucks that I I almost resent that it's taken me this long to internalize that. And I yeah, it hurts knowing that there's we live in a place where that is that is it. You know, that's how it is here. Yeah. I feel like though, I don't know, maybe this is me being weirdly voodoo mystic, but I feel a shift like is happening. Like I feel like enough people are speaking out and being vocal about it that a shift is coming. I think that with this, with the pandemic and COVID and everything, it's like, it has opened people's eyes to working from home in a way that I don't think you can put that genie back in the bottle. Yeah. A lot of people, um, people have realized that uh, all these stupid meetings could be an email. Um, I definitely realized that at my job. <laughs> um, like, I think once you, once you give people a certain amount of freedom uh, to spend their time how they see fit, to then come back and say, oh, actually, no, we need that back. You can't really do that. Yeah. Mm-mm. People in Europe do not accept that. That is it's not how it works there. They get more stuff, more freedoms, more privileges from their governments. It's not less. It's not how it works over there. And we could really like take a thing or two from that, like whether it's from healthcare or uh, like... I mean, you name it. They have figured it out over there. They have been living the high life for hundreds of years while we've been over here squabbling and hating each other. Like, Literally, the United States' ego is so big. And I, I really think that what would do us some good is like taking a seat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and you, you get that even even from like just regular citizens, like, like, God, don't get started on all this crap, but like, <laughs> you know, people saying like, yeah, I mean, sure, their standard of living is higher and they have free healthcare and free college and, uh, you know, all their roads are really safe and like everything's paid for and great. And it's like, essentially a utopia compared to the United States, but they don't have the freedom to make a billion dollars instead of just a million dollars. It's like, dummy, you're never going to make a million dollars. None of us are going to make a million dollars. You'll never know a millionaire. I'll never know a millionaire. Like, it's, it's like, well, maybe millionaire, not so much now, but like, the, the level of the, the wealth carrot that our society just hangs right in front of the citizenry where they're just like, just keep working just 40 more hours and you'll get there. You know, it's like it's so bad. Keep lifting those bootstraps. Like it's just, yeah. it's just not how it works. No, I know. 
like that's like a whole nother episode it, it really is yeah don't even get me started on that crap <laughs> um do you want to talk about high noon i would love to yeah i so yeah like i said moving to nashville has been like i mean it is just it's completely changed my life in a lot of ways um like i already touched on just the way of living here is so different uh, and it, it's allowed me to really take stock in, in what's important and what I want to do with my life and, and, uh, and what, what I can do, like what my abilities actually are, like what I'm actually capable of um, in a way that I don't know if I would have been afforded that opportunity back home in California or anywhere else I've lived because it's so expensive. You know, I didn't have the extra funds to explore and play around and, figure out what I wanted to do because I was paying like 70% of my money in rent every month. It's like, yeah. in, um, but yeah, so when I got here, I, I decided that I wanted to finally put a name to my studio. I wanted to name my studio and I wanted to like officially start offering my, my services as an audio engineer to, to everybody, you know, because for the longest time I've been, um, I've just been kind of getting work as an engineer through like word of mouth and friends and stuff, which is, it's great. But I finally felt like, like I'm good enough. I could, I could do this and offer it to strangers or, or people I don't know. Um, and so I made massive massive investments last year in this room i like basically saved almost my entire salary at united um, from last year and my savings up to that point um and i bought a new tape machine i bought a bunch of compressors i bought a console for whoever's watching this yeah whoever's watching the video version of this um Desk. I just bought a bunch of stuff. I bought a bunch of tools. Yeah. So I knew I would make this a viable business and a viable outing. Um, and yeah, high noon is my way of giving musicians like me and like you and like Sam and Stacy who maybe. They have big ambitions with their music. They want something great from their music. They, they, they want their music treated with care, but maybe they can't afford the capital experience. Maybe they can't afford to hire somebody $1,000, $2,000 a day to mix their music on an analog console and give it like that real old school treatment that like 90% of records that you and I love are given or were given back when the record industry had money to put behind stuff like that. And you didn't have to be Katy Perry to get that kind of experience. I essentially tried to build myself a mini capital studio B in this room where I kind of have similar, um, similar, similar functionality when it comes to me and, and my skill set and my reach as a, as a, uh, an engineer where it's kind of a mini version of what 
I experienced in that room for so many years where um, you got to bring your mix into this beautiful studio and lay the whole thing out. Every track had its own fader and every track had an outboard piece of gear on it or a tape machine was, you know, you're printing your whole mix to tape or, or whatever. Um, it's a really special, beautiful thing that is, that can really take your music to another level but it is so isolated to, it's an experience that is so isolated to like the top 1% of musicians at this point. Like people that, that are making music from their houses and stuff, I'm sorry, but you're just not gonna be able to go do that unless you, unless you make it, you know, which I hope you do. Um, but this was my, this studio is my small way of trying to, to give people that experience for something they can actually afford, for something they can actually that they can actually pull off, you know. And so far, I've been doing high noon now for about a year, and it's gone well enough for me so far. Thanks to you, and thanks to people like Stacy and Sam, and and all my friends who've kind of um, helped me grow this thing. Um, that. A few weeks ago, I decided I'm going to quit my nine to five day job and I am going to do high noon full time starting in two weeks. Thank you. Um, starting in two weeks, once uh, I gave my notice, uh, I gave a month's notice just to be extra nice uh, to United because they've been really good to me. Um, but yeah, come March 1st, I'm going to be in this room every single day making music, making my music making music with you, making music with Sam, making music with all my clients, all my new future clients. Um, it's extremely exciting. And I think after maybe hearing me talk about this journey up to this point, I hope you get a small, um, get a small sense for me of how big a deal this is for me and how hard I've, I've worked towards this. Even if, the whole time I've been on this journey in music, I didn't even know what I was working towards, but it was this. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't, I couldn't see it. I couldn't always see it. Um, like to the point where like a year ago, like literally right before High Noon became a thing, I said, if I am not being paid by strangers, not my friends, uh, to mix and master music by the time I turn 30 years old, I'm done. Giving mm. up. I'm giving up music. It's going to be the hardest band-aid I'll ever have to rip off. But no one can ever say I didn't try and then yeah. give this a shot, you know. And I did do it. Yeah. So here I am. And I'm going to keep doing it. And um yeah, I mean it gives me chills even just saying it, I don't really get a chance to say it out loud like that very often. So it's very this is a really wonderful platform to be able to celebrate this small but major victory for me in my life as a as a musician and um man, it's just extremely gratifying. And I and I would say if you take anything away from like anything I've said today, just just keep going. Just don't give up. But musicians that are successful are the ones that don't stop. That's mm -hmm. the biggest difference between ones that make it and ones that don't.
Yeah. Just don't stop. Just keep going. Just fail a couple more times. Eventually, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, failure is so much fun. Yeah. The thing about failure that's like trippy is that it's not, it's, I feel like a, a lot of it is in the mindset. And if you see it as a learning experience and not like the end of the road, then you're golden and you're fine. Yes, I agree with that 100%. I think it's like, like they say beauty is in the eye of the beholder. But if you look at like success can also be in the eye of the beholder. And if, and if you're the person, if you're a really negative person and you see the world through that prism, everything's going to be a failure. Everything's going to always look and feel like a failure. Nothing's ever going to be good enough. Nothing's ever, you're never going to live up to whatever insane standard you set for yourself. Speaking from experience. Yeah, literally. I'm like, you talking about me right here? <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's all what you make of it. Failure is like the best thing that's ever happened to me over and over again. It's been the best thing. And obviously I've, I've been extremely blessed and I've been really fortunate to have a lot of great experiences, but there were so many just like heartaches and just crushing defeats along the way. And if I stopped after every one of those, it's like, who knows what I'd be doing right now? Not music. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Um, how much time do you have? Because I realize we're like way over time. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm such a talker. I, I literally have blocked out all of tonight, uh, but I obviously don't want, expect you to go all night. I just. No, you're, you're totally fine. I, I don't care. I just, because I want to ask about black market and then I just want to make sure that we have time for final five and everything. So if you're good, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, Okay, anything else about High Noon before we jump into Black Market? Um, just if you're interested, follow High Noon on Instagram uh, or just go to the website, highnoonaudio.com. There's a lot of, lot of info there. Um, if you're a young upcoming musician or band, I want to work with you. 100%. I can vouch. Like You talked about how one of your intentions is to, to take music to that next level. You absolutely did that with my stuff. And like, like I was so nervous <laughs> to send myself because I'm so insecure and just like all of the doubt and truly like I'm, I'm so in love with everything that, that you did to, to make my music, like to take it to that next level. And, and it's, so yeah, I highly recommend to reach out to Nate. Thank you. And I highly recommend uh, listening to your new EP. It rules. I was saying. The night I was mastering it, I sent the whole thing to tape and back um, and just listening to it come off of tape. And it was just, it was awesome. Such a vibey record. Like it was, a, it was like, it was one of those things where like, I was like, she mastered Zenia's album tonight. I told her I would. I'm like halfway through it. I haven't finished it yet, but I really want to have something to show her. She's a new client and I don't want to leave her hanging. I was like, oh, but it's going to be a late night. And it was like the perfect way to spend a night. Like I just turned all the lights down in here and was like, this is awesome. This is a great night record to work on. Like it was awesome. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm so excited because I have huge plans for the music videos. 
cool. Yeah, so I'm I'm stoked, and I started working on uh, a full length album. Awesome. And and I have plans for another one. So yeah, more stuff is coming your way. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, okay, so what is Black Market, and also why did you call it Black Market? Yeah, so Black Market is essentially when I was in Spain, I had to do a like a thesis project. Um, and I haven't touched on this at all, but I have a, a huge love and deep background in like reggae and, and dub music. Uh, growing up in California, it's like everybody kind of hears that stuff all the time. Um, and I happen to be kind of introduced to a lot of good stuff. Um, there's a lot of bad stuff out there, but I, I, I got introduced to a lot of really, really great uh, music in those genres um, from an early age, um, from like 60s and 70s, like dub and reggae stuff. And basically, I always had this thought in the back of my mind that like, I remember specifically in high school, I was at a band practice and we were like doing a cover of a song. And I was thinking like, I remember someone piped up like, oh, that's not how it goes. Like in the original, like we have to do it this other way. And I remember thinking, like, wait, who cares? Like, this isn't, like, Shea Stadium. Like, this is my garage. Like, why do we have to <laughs> Like, who cares? This is my garage, yeah. I don't care. if I, You care, apparently. I don't know why you care so much. And then it kind of grew into this thought where I was like, what if, like, what if you didn't just, like, change a part to a song? What if you changed, like, the whole song? What if it was, like, a completely new song? And so what that grew into in Spain was I wanted to do a, my thesis on dub and reggae music, specifically dub music. Um, and I, I knew that reggae and dub is one of those genres of music. It's kind of like the blues or like jazz where like, if you're not like really immersed in it, and I imagine even some electronic music too, if you're not really immersed in it, if you ask someone like what they think of it, if any of those genres, like, what do you, what will I say? They'll say, um, I don't know. It all sounds the same to me. <laughs> it all just sounds the same. Like, and that's like, for someone who's like really into a certain kind of music, that's like, it's like such a dagger. Like, mm. No, it doesn't. Like, shut up. You don't even know. Like, you don't listen to it. Like, go away. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't want that reaction from like, my peers. I didn't want them to, I didn't want their eyes to just like glaze over and be like, what is this? When does Bob Marley start singing? You know, or whatever. Like, so I needed like a hook, basically. And I thought, well, why don't I just like remix some David Bowie songs as reggae songs? I've always wanted to do that. I've always wanted to like remake music in a different way. Um, so what I did was I found these like incredible uh, drum loops of this Jamaican drummer. Um, who played like super authentic stuff? Like it, it, it's it, they're incredible performances, and then there's like hundreds of them. And I found these drum loops, and so I brought them into Ableton and I locked them down to a click track. So I like physically manipulated the audio so that it was locked in time, right? And then I found acapella tracks of David Bowie. And I physically manipulated the audio of that and I locked those down to the same exact grid. 
And then I kind of just chopped everything up and edited it in a certain way so that um, the drum beats kind of follow the original structure of the original song. So it kind of felt like the original song, but it's like a new drum beat. And then I would go in and I layered in all the other reggae parts. I played all the bass parts. I played all the guitar parts. I played all the keyboard parts. Um, and maybe other little things that are like kind of unique to the songs that I thought needed to be in there, a certain guitar part or something. But I'd always reinterpret them through the prism of like, how would a reggae band do it though? Mm -hmm. uh, and um, yeah, what came of it was uh, Black Market, which I wound up naming it. Um, and it's become super popular by my standards. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I've got awesome, awesome fan base on, on uh, Bandcamp and um, Patreon and stuff. And I've done almost 30 EPs at this point. Um, at one point, I was doing an EP a month for about eight to nine months straight at a time. Which is a whole another discussion on creativity that I yeah. discovered that I actually loved. Uh, boxing yourself in, giving yourself deadlines like that it was like extremely fruitful for me as a creative person. Um, mm. But yeah, it's kind of become a thing, and it's it's really cool. And I'm probably gonna do it forever unless uh, someone sues me or I get in trouble or something. But uh, yeah, the reason I call it black market at this point. I thought so many times how I wish I could, I would have called it something different just because Black Market sounds like a name of like a thing or like maybe a band, but it doesn't sound like mm. a guy, which is all it is. It's just me doing it. Yeah. So I wish I would have come up with like a, a moniker for myself and called it that instead. Um, but hindsight's 2020, it's called Black Market. That's how everyone knows it now. But the reason I called it that was because I, I'm doing all these remixes without asking for permission. <laughs> I'm not exactly calling up uh, David Bowie's agent. I mean, like, hey, I got this cool idea. So I'm just doing it and putting it out there and come what may. I don't know. Maybe I'll get a, a shutdown notice at some point. It's one of those, it's a project that kind of exists in like this weird paradox where like, I want it to be successful, but the more successful it gets, and the more attention it gets, mm. the higher likelihood it is that someone's going to be like, oh, hey, you didn't uh, pay for any of those samples. Yeah. Yeah, no, you can't do this anymore. Goodbye. Delete your whole social media, everything. Um, so, yeah, it, it purely was just like black market. It's like on a, a place to get illicit remixes that are kind of illegal, basically, I think. <laughs> I don't know. No one's ever really. That, that makes sense, though. Yeah. But it's called Black Market. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I like it. They're awesome, too. I I, I checked it out. Oh, Thank my you. gosh. They're so cool. I love reggae as well. Oh, that's awesome. I, I don't think I could create reggae, but I love that vibe. Yeah, it's it's really fun. It's uh, it's kind of branched out, and it's a, it's a lot of, like, there's a, quite a few Bowie albums. There's Beach Boys. There's The Clash. But I also branched out and done like, like I'm a huge like horror movie nerd. Love horror movies, and uh, so I've done a bunch of like horror movie soundtracks and like TV show soundtracks, like Twin Peaks. I've done and like, um, it's just a really cool. It's my primary creative outlet. 
Like it is like anything I feel like doing will probably be done under the umbrella of black marketing or a project like that. Like, and I've done other stuff like like kind of more like outrun like kind of electronic stuff with my collaborator uh, Chu Dan, who's like an incredible electronic artist. So I'm actually I'm working on his record next month. Him and I have done stuff that is like totally not rigged and put it out on um, black market projects as well. Uh, that being said, I think it'll it'll basically always be a primarily reggae dub thing, but um, there's definitely wiggle room to do other things, which is really fun because it's. I always tell people like if I can get away with doing a hundred of these EPs, I'm going to. Yeah, That's I fun. have a secret ambition to create a horror movie soundtrack using just my voice oh that's awesome See, but that's I'm, scary. I'm not a horror movie person so i don't know how that's gonna work out <laughs> see but if you're scoring it there wouldn't be music to it already probably and you would already know how it ends and you'd know where all the jump scares are so like you know it, it doesn't would matter. <laughs> well I, okay it depends what kind of horror Okay. If it's like, like if it's like serial killers, I can deal with that. Okay. But if it's like supernatural, paranormal horror stuff, I cannot do that because I'm like, well, that's real. So right. that's, that's the stuff that's like in your house, like right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm kind of the same way. I don't really like super like gory stuff um, necessarily, but um, I don't know. I'm very picky about horror as well, but. But yeah, I, I've always wanted to do a, 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 some kind of horror movie soundtrack as well. Me and my my buddy Trudan, he works at the LA uh, Film School. His name's Ben. Actually, his name's not Trudan. Um, his name's Ben Ziderwick, and he works at LA Film School. Also, someone I met at Berkeley in Valencia. Um, and um, yeah, he like works on horror movie scores all the time, like coming up with stuff like that. So I've been like begging him, like, please, like, let me. I don't know what I'll do. Just let me do something on your horror movie soundtracks. That sounds so cool. <laughs> yeah. I love that. But, yeah. So uh, what's next for you? Like, next, where do you go from here? You know? Next is like, just all my focus, all my energy on making High Noon a complete success. And in a lot of ways, Black Market is the flip side to that coin because Although I can't really charge money for black market stuff because again I'm kind of taking stuff from the ether and using it. Um, I do have like a Patreon set up for that, and it, and it is kind of a Patreon for other things I do in high with High Noon as well. Like I run like a blog on High Noon, and um, like I'm doing more YouTube videos. And I'm debating starting a podcast, maybe. It would all be kind of like my black market Patreon is kind of an umbrella for all that stuff. Um, so getting tons of clients with high noon and doing more and more and more black market stuff, getting more patrons, stuff like that. Everything I could do to just get that ball rolling. I basically have two weeks left at my job. Not even on Mondays, one week left. Um, so coming out of that, it's I just have to like hit the ground running and, and just like 
you know, who knows what could come out of the studio. I mean, it's so exciting because now that I have the time to focus on it, it's like, I mean, yeah, to answer your question, what's next? I hope tons of awesome records. That's why, that's what I think is coming next. Yeah. I hope that for you. I'm going to send the, send those vibes your way. Awesome. Yeah. I love that. I appreciate it. Um, all right. Anything I didn't ask about that you want to share before final five? Honestly, no, I have like taken up probably your entire night (laughs) (laughs) because I can't uh, stop talking. (laughs) I have 0% of a social life, so you're totally fine. No problem. (laughs) All right. So final five, uh, Originally, this was going to be speed round, but it has not been speed round for anyone. So that's okay. Um, What is your favorite black market creation to date? Okay. I would say if it was um, one of the EPs, it would be uh, the next dub. That's the second David Bowie dub album I did from 2016, I think. Got a bunch of my friends on it. just amazing musicians all doing like david bowie reggae songs like it's 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 amazing i i feel lucky to like even though i was like my thing i feel lucky i was like a part of it because of all the people on it so yeah probably that one that's awesome what is one piece of advice you have for someone just starting out in the music world asking for a friend just starting out man if you're just starting out in the music world just understand that Understand that when I was getting into, when I first got into Berkeley 10 years ago, uh, they were basically telling me during orientation that like the music industry was dying. Wow. And that like record labels, record companies, all this is like in major upheaval right now. And that's really scary. But the thing that's amazing about it is all that stuff totally sucked 10 years ago. And it still kind of sucks now. And it's good that it's dying because it's a terrible model that is outdated and it deserves to die because it doesn't pay artists. Artists don't make any money doing it. We deserve to make more money. So what we have a chance to do right now um, and what you have a chance to do if you're just starting out is to reshape the music industry to be a more equitable for all of us, yeah. making a place where um, it's not in service of millionaires who are in service of billionaires. It's a place in service of if you make a song, you should get paid for the song. Like you should get paid. We should all be getting paid for this. It's cool. Where, where would we be in this world if we have music? Like this world would suck. And we deserve. We're not just monkeys playing guitars. We are. This is a real thing that people love and that people should be paying for. And we need to come up with new models and new methods of realizing that. And if, if you're new to this, that should be one of your primary goals. I love that. Uh, what, what's one thing you've learned through this journey? One thing, persistence. Mm. I would say persistence. I like that. Uh, okay, four. What's one thing you would go back and tell your nine-year-old self? Um, wow. I 
be ready to cry a lot. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, uh, oh, you know what I would say? I would say keep taking piano lessons, idiot. You're going to wish, you're going to wish that you had done that. I guess that's more specific to me. I don't really know what I would tell a, a nine-year-olds generally, but for mm-hmm. me, I wish I had taken piano. Yeah. Okay. If you could only listen to one song for the rest of your life, what would it be? Whoa. <laughs> Dude, I asked Sam this question too, and he's like, I, I don't know. Whoa. Oh, man. Okay. I'm narrowing it down. Hold on. I think, I think Young Americans by David Bowie. David, huh. Bowie, David Bowie is, he's my rock. He's my babe. I love him. Um, and that's my favorite song of his, I think. So probably that one. Cool. I'll have to check it out. Yep. Thank you so much for chatting with us. I'm so glad we got to do this. I'm so glad Stacy connected us. Like, oh my goodness. Sam, seriously, Sam, it's, uh, you're so kind and it's been such a joy uh, getting to talk to you and in person. And, you know, it's been awesome, you know, working on your music and, and talking behind the scenes and stuff. But yeah, this conversation, even if it wasn't for your podcast, is way overdue. So I'm really, really glad we got to talk. Yeah. And you're going to be my podcast editor. Surprise. Like debut that. Yeah, Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. Like, thank you so much for that. I drive myself insane. I try to do everything myself and people are like, you need to stop. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, I'll say to your audience listening, the same thing I, I think I said to you earlier is this podcast is so cool. It has so much potential to be a great podcast that I think we'll have um, a lot of listeners. I mean, it's, it's to be able to hear, um, creative people, uh, talk in an unfettered way about their experiences in the music industry or experiences as a creative person is invaluable. That's how I got through Berkeley and, and all these, all these trials I've been through in the industry was I would, I would, I would search out my favorite musicians and listen to them on podcasts. It was like a blessing, like a, like a gift. If, if like I could listen to like Jack White or whoever, like just be like, oh yeah, I've got two hours. I'm just going to like talk about everything I've learned, like what you should do. Like, and it's amazing when it comes from big, massive, successful people like that, but also hearing that perspective on like a ground floor level from people who are like still cutting their teeth and like really in the thick of it right now and what it's like on the ground right now as a musician is huge because we all are sharing this landscape right now for better or worse with COVID and and trying to navigate the music world right now is is really crazy. And having a an outlet for musicians like this not only is it great for them but it's great for everyone listening to because it's like it's a way to hear that you know we've all got each other's backs and this is this is hard but like like you're not the only one you're you're you have friends out there there's a community out there that um, we're all working in every day to make this work and this is a great outlet for people like that and for people 
care about music in general. So, I mean, I, I sincerely thank you for letting me be a part of this, like really, because um, it's awesome. I love it. Absolutely. And I mean, just send me artists, you know, like I, I'm, oh. I want guests. I want all of the guests. So if you, if you think of people, please send them my way. I will. I've got, I'm not even going to say right now, but I've got a million people and I'm running through my mental Rolodex. I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to them soon and, and yeah. try and get them on. We're tentatively launching on March 19th. Um, it just is like whether or not we get approved in time. Right. Is, is that, so there's some kind of like, uh, I think you mentioned it in an email or something. It's like, a, what is it again? I can't even remember. I don't, I don't even know. I'm working with these people and they're taking care of it, but they were like, yeah, it can take up to three weeks to like, just get like your proposal or your, like your trailer and your icon, like submitted and approved. And then, okay, I don't know wild yeah, yeah a cast world I know. <laughs> um family go check out nate you can find him on instagram at high noon audio if you're looking for music production services i've said this already but i will say it again 10 out of 10 reach out to nate you've mastered all my stuff and all my future stuff um it wouldn't be the tracks that it is without him and you can listen to Black Market Creations on blackmarketdub.bandcamp.com and help support Nate through patreon.com slash blackmarketdub. All of these links and more are in the description episode, so go check it out. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you have enjoyed your time today. Please take a minute to press that subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, Audible, Google Play. And if you liked today's episode, please rate and leave a review. It would mean so much to me and it helps more listeners like you find this podcast. You can connect with our guests and myself on social media. All of our information and more is listed in the description of this episode. I'm your host, Senya. See you next time. 